Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Erase the Taste Edition, as the four and three Bengals look to rid themselves of the bitter aftertaste from a dismal performance at Kansas City and get back on the winning track this Sunday at home against the three and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Coming up, an in-depth conversation with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, including his thoughts on what's happened to the Bengals' offense since Tyler Eifert went down and if the Bengals' problems on defense are fixable. I'll chat with Carl Lawson about only having one sack so far this season after leading NFL rookies in that category last year. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll talk to Rick Stroud, who covers the Bucks for the Tampa Bay Times. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since the previous button on your TV remote. When watching TV, especially live sporting events, I like to check out an alternate channel during the commercial breaks, and the previous button makes it very easy to go back and forth between two different channels. Sure, it's not that hard to punch in the channel numbers, but the previous button makes it as easy as, well, the touch of a button. Now let's get to this week's game. When the Bengals hit the practice field on Wednesday, nearly one-fourth of the roster made the injury list. 12 out of 53 players. 10 didn't practice at all, including... Vontez Perfect with a hip injury, Bobby Hart with a bad back, Drake Kirkpatrick with an Achilles issue, and John Ross who continues to deal with a groin injury. The Bengals have a bye coming up after this week's game against Tampa Bay, and it can't get here soon enough. Now time to bring in my broadcast partner Dave Lapham to review last week's debacle at Kansas City and look ahead to Sunday's home game against the Bucks. Lap, I'm going to turn the clock back to 2014 in prime time on Monday Night Football. The New England Patriots got embarrassed at Kansas City 41-14. to Not quite as bad as 45-10, but awfully close. The next week, Bill Belichick famously said, we're on to Cincinnati, and the Patriots ended that season by winning the Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl, but how do they flush that Kansas City disaster down the drain? Marvin Lewis channels his inner Bill Belichick, and Andy Dalton channels his inner Tom Brady. I think that's two big reasons why they were able to move on to Cincinnati and be so successful. But you do have to compartmentalize. I think, as I recall, Andy Dalton had his first three-game losing streak ever in any sports endeavor, youth all the way up to the NFL, when he lost three in a row here as the Cincinnati Bengal. He'd never, it had never happened to him before. So Andy Dalton, historically, has been able to put a bad performance aside, and bounce back. And, uh, you know, if it happens, they lose two in a row. It doesn't happen more than that in a normal time frame. So I think that they are at home. Uh, it's an important football game. I think that they have to look at this football game as a crucial moment of the season. You know, do you, uh, do you crumble or do you get up off the ground, dust yourself off, and, and get back at it and beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? It's a winnable football game, obviously, and they could go into the bye week at 5-3, and three, Lick their wounds, get healed up for the stretch, um, and they're you know they're tracking the ten and six season right where they want to be. If not, now there are more questions than probably can be answered during a short time of a bye week. 
Lap, our colleague Jeff Butch Hobson from Bengals.com had a great stat. In 14 quarters with Tyler Eifert this year, the Bengals have scored 117 points. Without him, 67 points, a drop-off of 50 points. I did some research before the Kansas City game. In 36 possessions with Tyler Eifert healthy, not including kneel downs or possessions where the Bengals were not trying to score, they scored touchdowns on 14 of 36 drives. That's 39% of the time. Without him, six touchdowns on 32 drives, 19%. What has the Eifert injury done to the Bengals' offense? You know, I, I think you can look at it and say, what kind of defenses were they playing against when Eifert was playing? Baltimore's pretty darn good. <laughs> Carolina, historically, pretty darn good. Atlanta, you know, has been, not this year. But, I mean, it's not like they were playing against, uh, you know, JV football teams. They were playing against good defensive football teams. I think it's it's exactly what we saw with Kansas City. You have two speeders because the other factor is the John Ross factor in that Kansas City, Sammy Watkins, you know, he, he can fly. He can stretch the football field. There's no doubt about it. They have speed on the perimeter. Hill was ridiculous. He's a joystick, you know, a video game. Those guys stretch it, and then you have Kelsey abusing it. With the A.J. Green, John Ross, they could have stretched it, Eifert abusing it. And that's what they were doing. So now you lose Eifert abusing it, and you lose John Ross stretching it, the threat of the deep ball on the other side. It tilts deep coverages differently. You know, Tyler Boyd was starting to get double teamed, as well as A.J. Green. So, I mean, it, the, whole, the whole dynamic changed. When, when Tyler Eifert was in the football game, every snap he played, they went nickel defense. They went to a sub package. They did not stay base defense. That tells you the, the defense's respect for what Tyler Eifert was, was doing for them offensively. And without him, um, and then Tyler Boyd down as well, I mean, C.J. Uzama, you better put him in a bubble. Can't afford to lose that guy. You better make sure that he is protected. I, I would not put him in any contact drills in practice. I mean, you have to be very careful not to lose uh, C.J. Uzama. He's, and C.J.'s capable. I mean, he's a big-body guy that can run. He's a threat. But th- when, when they had all hands on deck, very healthy, and, and making the uh, defense defend the entire football field, they were, they were dynamic. They were getting a lot of deep balls. Now they're playing in a closet. Now the defense is compressed. The defense is, is, is tighter to the line of scrimmage. They're not, they're not feeling threatened with the downfield ball as much. And, uh, and then they can tilt the coverage to A.J. because a couple of weapons down. So I think it, it's Tyler Eifert for sure. John Ross is, a, is another part of that equation. He may not be as big a catalyst or as big a part of the formulation, but he, he's a factor as well. And, and it's, it's incredible. I mean – you know, you, you look at uh, the Miami game, the offense scored 13 points. The defense had two defensive touchdowns. So offensively, you put 13 on the board. You put 21 on the board against uh, Pittsburgh and 10 on the board against the Chiefs. That's the surprising one. 239 yards and 10 first, uh, 15 first downs and 10 points against that defense. That, that's, that's stunning. But the last three games, they scored 44 points. Against Atlanta, they scored 37 to beat them 37-36. So it's not a lull. It's, it's a lot longer than a lull. I mean, right now it's hibernation offensively. It's not a lull. They have to come out of it. Let's talk about the Bengals' defense. Next to last in the NFL in yards allowed, 28th in points allowed, 26th versus the run, 29th versus the pass. Is it fixable after seven games? You know, as all coaches will tell you, Dan, everything's fixable, you know. But, I mean, 
is it injury related? You know, you're down some people. Well, yeah, but everybody in the league, the Kansas City Chiefs shut the Bengals offense down without Houston, their Pro Bowl uh, linebacker, and without Barry, their Pro Bowl safety. Their two best defensive players, the two Pro Bowl players that they lean on, didn't play, didn't play a snap. So, yeah, it, it's, it's fixable, and it's, it's, you really have to focus on doing the little things, the minor details. You know, sometimes when, when it's going well, you have a tendency like, oh, man, yeah, we're good. You know, everything's – you start to – handling success is, is difficult. You know, it's sometimes even more difficult than handling failure. And that's the, that's the reason because it's like, man, yeah, I get some swagger. I feel good about myself. Right now, they can't, they, they can't feel good about anything. They have to just have laser focus, razor-sharp focus, and every little minute minutia detail they have to be all over because it seems like – Anytime anybody stumbles on any phase of it, on any level, up front, hitting the wrong gap, staying out, getting washed out of a pass rush lane, hitting the wrong gap in the run game, whatever it is, same thing at the linebacker position. You're not in exactly where you should be on your drop. You know, you're off a little bit, and there's a hole. The quarterback finds it. In the secondary, you know, you have some kind of a mistake or mis- miscommunication issue. Anytime any of it happens, they're getting, a be- they're getting beaten. And it's happening at different levels of the of the defense at different times and if same guy were making the mistake over and over you could replace him it's an easy solution but it's not they're doing it collectively there's I don't think there's anybody on that defensive football team who suits clean who can look in the mirror and say have I had you know a perfect year so far have I not screwed up no every single one of them and you know this started on the offense it started in the Miami game the two defensive scores uh were makeup to hide imperfections and it hid defensive imperfections as well. And now, all of a sudden, reality has hit them in the face with two really good opponents, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And they gotta, they got to tighten it up. they got to dot the I's, cross the T's, and every single detail, no detail, is, uh, is too small. Every single one of them is magnificently large. <laughs> you mentioned injuries. Two weeks ago, with 118 left in the Pittsburgh game, the Bengals had a one-point lead over the Steelers. They're on the verge of being 5-1 and one and the toast of the town. Now they're 4-3 and three and being ridiculed after getting embarrassed on primetime. How much of this decline is injury-related? I think, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, but in, in this league, everybody has to adjust and adapt. Um, you know, you watch uh, the New England Patriots win a football game. Uh, without Gronkowski, you know, he, he's not available. Then his, uh, their outstanding rookie running back, Michelle, gets dinged up, and he, he's out in the game. They go to White. They go to whoever. They go to Edelman. They find ways. You have to, uh, you know, if, if your first plan of attack is eliminated, you have to have a plan B, a plan C, a plan all the way to Z in the league. You really do, offensively and defensively. And, and I think that's maybe, maybe the Bengals have to work a little bit harder uh, I'm not saying they didn't have a plan B and C, but maybe uh, a little bit more time could have, should have, or whatever, in hindsight, been devoted to them because they, they came upon them quickly, you know, and, uh, and now they have to adjust on the fly. I think the bye week is coming at a good time uh, for the, the physical part of it because of the injuries, guys licking their wounds and healing up, and for the coaches to really go back and do the self-evaluation and say, Here's what they did to us when, when this happened. We didn't react quickly enough with a plan B or C, and let's do this down the stretch in the season instead of what we did in the first half. So I think 
it's, it's going to be a twofold plus. Heal up, rest and heal up for the players, do their rehab, and for the coaches, sit back, take a good, long, hard look at what they did, how they did it, and make adjustments accordingly. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers might have the worst pass defense of all time. They are giving up nearly 328 yards per game. Quarterbacks are completing 75% of their passes against the Bucks. The passer rating against Tampa Bay is 125.8. If you're the Bengals, why even run this week? You scratch your head and wonder. Uh, Tampa Bay has given up 18 touchdown passes, most in the NFL. They only have one interception. Tied for fewest in the league. And they have no yard return on that interception. The worst in the league. So why, th- why run the football? Well, the Bengals thought that the Kansas City Chiefs defense was a sieve. And everybody did. The Kansas City was tracking to give up the most yards in the history of the National Football League. They gave up 239 against the Bengals in, 10, in only 10 points. So you can take nothing for granted on a week-to-week basis in this league. And I still maintain, no, no matter who you're playing against, you do have to have some kind of modicum of balance. You know, you have to if, – if the defensive line doesn't have to respect the running game at, at all and, and can tee off and Mark Duffner, now the defensive coordinator, um, he's got a couple of weeks under his belt now and uh, he can come up with some more creative designs or blitz packages, put his stamp on it. It's going to – it'll probably be different. The Kansas City Chiefs threw a coverage at A.J. Green that he hadn't seen on tape or anybody had seen on tape from the Kansas City Chiefs all season long. You know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Mark Duffner, in particular Mark Duffner, wants to beat the Bengals. And he's going to try to do it by showing a new wrinkle, something that has not been on tape yet, and uh, not, not just probably for A.J. Green, but also in trying to confuse Andy Dalton. So take nothing for granted. And if you can pound the rock and, and, and anchor them, that's the best way to beat the football team. Then you can abuse them through the air. If you ask avid football fans to name the number one passing attack in the NFL, I'm guessing they would say New Orleans, maybe Kansas City, possibly Pittsburgh, Atlanta. It's actually Tampa Bay, 364 yards per game, including eight completions of 40 yards or more. They've only played six games. What do the Bengals have to do on defense? Can't give up the explosive play. They have four different receivers with a reception of 50 yards or more. Evans has one for 51. Humphreys for 51. Howard has a 75-yard touchdown catch. Jackson has a 75-yard touchdown catch. The thing is, explosive plays by a bunch of different people. Four, five different receivers have 20 more catches. Four different have three or more touchdowns. And four different have 300 yards or more receiving. The tight ends, they have two good tight ends. Out of that tight end group, 30 catches, 452 yards, five touchdowns. They combined for 12 touchdowns last year. Bottom line is the Bengals have to be on their A game. They have to be on point because just like Kansas City, Tampa Bay attacks the entire football field. I mean, <laughs> Fitzpatrick and Winston, they are both, they're not prejudicial. Wherever the, wherever the read takes them, that's where they're going with the football. They're not trying to force things. So you have to be assignment sound, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, and you can't, uh, you can't, you have to minimize your mental mistakes because they will take advantage of it. And uh, they have such athletic people at the receiver position. Evans, big and strong. You know, uh, Jackson runs as fast as anybody. They can, they can hit you, hit you beat, uh, beat you deep, hit you hard, and they've done it to a lot of people. All right, last thing. The Bengals face the Tampa Bay Bucks, and the Bucks' original coach, John McKay, had some of the greatest one-liners in coaching history. 
He was asked about his team's execution. He said, I'm all for it. He, was all, <laughs> he also said after one game, we didn't tackle well, but we made up for it by not blocking. So here's my question for you. Who is the funniest coach you were ever around? It has to be Sam Weich. You know, Sam, Sam could have done stand-up comedy, I think. I mean, the guy, he, he is so naturally funny, and, and he is so quick. His mind is so quick. He can make a joke out of anything. He can, he can come up with a, with a one-liner or take it in a direction where it's like, man, how, do, how does your mind work? How do you make that association um, and, and come up with what you come up with? I mean, he, he, was, he was hilarious and, and a real high level, you know, sophisticated level of humor. It could be, you know, just flat-out normal funny, real sarcastic funny. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he was something else. And you talk to guys that played with him, you know, during his career, I think every one of them, you know, Bob Johnson, Bob Trumpy, Kenny Anderson, you, you go through all the, all the guys that played with Sam Weiss, I think every one of them would say that he might be as funny a guy, you know, as he's ever been around. The guy that uh, people would not uh, think about with sarcastic humor, though, Paul Brown. Oh, man, he was, he was funny. The guy could, the guy could uh, his sarcasm dripped with about uh, as much uh, real sharp needle to it than I've, I've ever been around. He could, he could crush you in a sentence with his sarcasm. He was a funny guy. And speaking of Paul Brown, the NFL celebrates its 100th season next year, and the league recently announced that an all-time team will be selected, along with a list of the 10 greatest coaches. And Paul Brown should be a lock to be on that list. One of the mysteries of the Bengals' season to date is the lack of a dominant pass rush. Geno Atkins has six sacks, and Carlos Dunlap has five, so they're on pace for double-digit seasons. But as a team, the Bengals are tied for 20th in the NFL with just 15 sacks. Carl Lawson led NFL rookies with 8.5 last year, but only has one sack through seven games. I talked to Carl at his locker on Wednesday. How bad did you get held on Sunday night? It was ridiculous. I mean, I think it was a hold and it was a block in the back. So, I mean, but I don't know. Calls just, it's been coming my way this year, but you just got to keep working. I was among many that would have uh, predicted a double-digit sack year for you this year. It could still happen. Uh, but have you been frustrated that they haven't come as rapidly as they came last year? I mean, of course. But, I mean, then again, same snap count as last year. It just I feel like there's a bunch of varying factors, but I can't. And I've, as I've reviewed the film, I don't think it's from a lack of just, you know, winning. You know, the one-on-ones, I just think it's a bunch of variables that fly into it. But the thing I can't do is I can't sit there and hang my head. I got to, even though, you know, the natural thing is to want to do that, I just got to keep pushing, keep fighting. You never know what can happen. So I'm just keep taking it one day at a time and uh, just got to keep working. Sacks are a very black and white stat. They don't necessarily measure pressure. According to the website Pro Football Focus, you are still among the, the uh, defensive linemen getting the most consistent pressure in the NFL. Do you feel that way? Honestly, I mean, that's cool and all, but I've, I've always lived the model of sacks. And, you know, sacks get stacks. Sacks are what, you know, changes games. And, I mean, yeah, everybody, of course, people are going to see the pressure, but at the end of the day, when they're talking about the conversation of how good this guy is, they're gonna, that's what you're going to be measured at. So I'm not going to sit there and let a stat like pressure, you know, be like a, a pat on the back. I, I don't take it as such, and I just need to continue to keep working and uh, go out there and um, go out there and just, you know, produce when I get my opportunity. But I, I know my time will come. I know I'm, 
I, there's no there's no short of confidence that I'll be a great player in this league when you know when that time time is to hit. Two weeks ago, you guys were about a minute and twenty seconds away from being five and one in the toast of the town. Steelers game uh, ended poorly. Last Sunday night was a rough one, and now people are questioning how good this team is. How about internally? What's the feeling in the locker room? Internally, I think you know we really need to just you know regather and, and regroup, and then and just get through the bye week because a lot of things is you know the injury bug is a hit. It's like somebody threw a grenade in the tight end room, um, but you know it just. You know, I've I've dealt with a little stuff this year myself, but it's just you know get just get this win and then go into the bye week. That's so that's the main goal. Carl has been in for 225 defensive snaps this year, 44 percent of the Bengals' total, which is slightly up from 42 percent last year. And although he is clearly not satisfied with it, Pro Football Focus has him ranked number eight in the NFL among edge rushers in generating pressure. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment. And to learn more about the Buccaneers, Rick Stroud, who covers the team for the Tampa Bay Times, joined Lap and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Rick, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. Greatly appreciate your time. Let's start with a key injury for the Buccaneers. They lost middle linebacker Quan Alexander. Head coach Dirk Cutter called him the heart and soul of the defense, maybe even the team. How big a blow is that on the field? And what are the Bucks going to do to replace him? Well, it's enormous. I mean, they they've been you know bad on defense pretty much all year. He actually had maybe his best half of football before he tore his ACL. Um, you know, when he was a rookie, they were six and six under Lovey Smith, and he ended up being suspended for four games for PEDs, and they lost all four. So, you know, he's a very valuable player. I don't think you can really replace him per se. They're going to put. Darius Taylor, who's the linebacker that's played a lot of positions at, at the Mike linebacker, Levante David, who's a Pro Bowl player, will, will call the plays. He's going to wear the green helmet, have the communicator, but it's going to be very hard to, to try to you know, fill that void. They're going to have to do it with everybody. You know, the typical cliche, everybody else has to play a little larger because Quan, um, you know, was a guy that's really sideline to sideline, and it just brings that fire and passion that you need um, as a leader of the defense. Well, who's going to play that strong side outside linebacker? Uh, you, you got your backup is on IR with a knee injury. It, they signed Kevin Minter. Who do you think is going to line up at that other, the strong side outside linebacker spot? Yeah, when they go base uh, defense, it'll be Devontae Bond. I mean, he's a guy that's been here for a couple of years. Um, he was injured in training camp. They reached an injury settlement. The timing was kind of good. Uh, for the Bucks, in that they had a couple players that were eligible to re-sign with them because they had been out for six weeks, and Bond was one of them. Now he's only had, you know, really one week of practice. Um, so, but he's he's played before. Um, not exactly a frontline guy, but you know, when teams are are uh, in three receivers or three wide or more, you're you're you know you're in nickel 66 percent of the time. But sure. that's who will start there for sure. What, quite, Gerald McCoy missed last week because of a calf. Didn't practice today with the calf. You've already missed your shortstop, Alexander, at middle linebacker. If your catcher's out, you know, you want to be strong up the middle in baseball, defensively, and football. If you if McCoy doesn't go and Alexander doesn't go, man, that's a, that's a big blow up the middle, isn't it? Yeah, you're losing. You're right. Exactly right. You build that defense that way. and. You know, they, they've gotten a little fortunate, um, I guess, if you want to call it that, that, um, you know, Bo Allen has come back off an injury. Vita Vea, who was their first-round pick out of Washington, 
He's only played in three games. It's sort of the equivalent of him playing now preseason, so this would be like his first game instead of the you know, sixth game or seventh game of the year. But, um, you know, those, those are two guys that did a nice job. Uh, they actually had their best game rushing the passer against the Browns. I may say more about the Browns, but they did have five sacks. And Jason Pierre-Paul has just been phenomenal. I mean, he's come in here after being traded by the, you know, by the Giants and has six sacks already in six games and lots of tackles and, and just um, sort of been uh, another guy that's been the emotional, sort of an emotional leader for them on defense. We are visiting with Rick Stroud from the Tampa Bay Times. The Buccaneers are number one in the NFL in passing yards, next to last in rushing yards. Why such an imbalance? Well, I think if you, if you really look at it, uh, the first couple games that Fitzpatrick was playing, they got up on teams really fast. And, uh, you know, uh, in those situations, uh, you know, they, they just didn't have the ball very much. They didn't have many rushing attempts. Uh, and then in a couple games, uh, particularly Chicago, they got behind so early by five touchdowns, they, they weren't able to run it. So it's, it's, it's sort of been um, not by design, but by the same token. I mean, if you look at their weapons, um, the way they want to attack you is through the air because, you know, you've got Mike Evans and, um, you know, Cameron Braid and O.J. Howard at tight end and Sean Jackson got off to a great start. Chris Godwin is playing really, really well. Adam Humphreys comes and plays in the slot. So they have so many receivers, uh, which is why they lead the NFL in passing, that uh, they want to get the ball in their playmakers' hands. And a lot of times the best way to do that is to throw it. It's interesting, not just the yard, but first downs. 24 first downs rushing, fewest in the NFL. 111 first down passing, most in the NFL. That 87 differential between first downs on the ground and in the air, biggest differential in the NFL. So, I mean, it, they are definitely, and I guess for the reasons you said, and, and most importantly, I agree with you, I think the weaponry. I mean, it's the Bengals... I, I, it's going to be an interesting matchup for me because the Bengals have had their tight end position decimated. So, you know, they get questions there. They've had their linebacker position decimated. Questions there. Tampa Bay's got their linebacker position decimated. Questions there. The only plus, Tampa's tight ends. And that matchup, in the all-important matchup in today's NFL, tight end on linebacker, everything's hurting except the Tampa Bay tight ends. Do you think that that could be a big advantage in this game? Oh, I think so. I mean, you know, those matchups are tough, um, even against you know the front line players that are that are on the field, let alone guys that are hurt. So, you know, whether you try to, ma- I mean, you got O.J. Howard is six six, two hundred and what, like forty five pounds, and right. and you know, Cameron Braid is six five, and these guys can really go up and catch the ball. I mean, they have good ball skills. They're red zone weapons. Um, you know, when you spread when they spread out and they go empty, which is quite a bit. Uh, you you know you can play zone if you want to, but if you go man to man, it's going to be somebody's going to be you know they're going to find the right guy, and that's what they've been doing. I mean they're on a historic pace to throw for over seven thousand yards this year, so um, we'll see if they can keep that up with the, with the way the rules have sort of morphed in favor of the passing game and Jameis Winston, and of course Fitzpatrick have you know thrown for over seventy percent. Um, it's really something to watch when they get it going. Now they've not finished drives; they've they've hurt themselves in the red zone. They've been their own worst enemy there. And on defense, they're not taking the ball away, and Cincinnati has. So, you know, those are the things that would help the Bengals is their ability to get turnovers. A couple more questions for Rick Stroud, who covers the Bucks for the Tampa Bay Times. Two years ago, the Bucks looked like a team on the rise. 9-7 and seven in Jameis Winston's second year. Picked to be on hard knocks. 
Why have they regressed, in your opinion? Well, I think they got over their skis that year, in part because of the hard knocks. And, you know, really, they, they didn't draft any defensive players, per se, on the defensive line, really, for about four years. Jason Light neglected that side, so he went out and completely rebuilt this defensive line with Bo Allen and Benny Curry, who's hurt. Um, you know, the guys I mentioned with uh, Vita Vea and, and JPP. So, you know, they, they, they just weren't good enough on defense, and, and it showed. That's why Mike Smith is no longer here in part because he didn't have any players. But, um, you know, since then, you know, Jameis got hurt last year. He missed three games with an injury. He played three he probably shouldn't have played in. And this year he was suspended the first three. So they've just not had the kind of continuity at the quarterback position or really the defensive personnel to make them a complete football team. Mark Duffner, one of my all-time favorite people, linebacker coach up here with the Bengals before, you know, earlier in his career, takes over for Mike Smith. That had to be a tough decision for sure for Dirk Cutter. I know they're very close friends, but it looked like Mike was very aggressive and a lot of blitzing and got burned. Looked like against Cleveland, Mark Duffner decided to let's calm it down, let's play shell coverage, a lot of too deep safety, you know, let's play coverage and and three three man rush drop eight four man rush drop seven and make them go on sustained drives and it seemed to have worked out. Is that the way it, it looked to you guys? And do you think you're gonna you're gonna see more of that and less uh, aggressiveness and all out getting after it stuff? Yeah, I think that's exactly what he did. He tried to simplify things. They got a very young secondary. They're playing three rookies, which is hard to do, as you know. You can't get those guys experience. So, Carlton Davis and M.J. Stewart and Jordan Whitehead back there. They wanted to make sure they didn't turn guys free, and that's what they had been doing. They've been turning receivers just absolutely loose. So they played a lot more cover two shell. What they did well was on third down, they got off the field. You know, when they got them in third and longs, um, then they came after them a few times. They did get the five sacks. The four-man rush got home. So Duff is great. I mean, he's seen so much in this game. Um, he's really embraced this challenge. The players love him, as you know. Right. Um, he's got nicknames for all of them. He helped recruit yeah. most of them. Uh, so he's been awesome, and, and I think the guys are excited to play for him. You know, one thing about Mark Duffner, every day is a good day. I don't care what the weather yes, is. I don't care right. what kind of problems. Every day is a good day when you're around Mark Duffner. That guy's the most positive guy I've ever met. He's awesome, and I think that was something they needed, and, and uh, nothing against Mike Smith, but, you know, they're, they're playing hard for Duff, and, and they really do enjoy him. Our thanks to Rick Stroud, and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, please give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback is always appreciated, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.